0: good morning. Now I've got for you a, uh, a little video presentation but I'm sorry online you can't watch it and there's various reasons why that is and I can't now remember what they all are but uh, what I want you to do is um, look this Xbox ad up later yourself but the rest of it so take a second now to go and grab a coffee you've got 60 seconds can you do that in 60 seconds just grab a biscuit and uh, come back um, but watch this oh, oh trigger warning Ha! <laughs> So if you have tuned back in, you're wondering what's going on, right? Come to church. Um, did, is everyone okay? I, just, I never quite... I'm not really good at judging what's appropriate or not appropriate, as I've found out over the years. But um, it was an ad uh, many years ago. It's been pulled, as you can appreciate. It's, it's, it's no longer used anymore. But um, doesn't it capture something about how you're feeling sitting here today? That that's life? Life is short. Uh, it's true for so many of us, you feel that sense of uh, it's just been this massive journey screaming all the way and, uh, and then it's all over, it finishes and there is a tragedy of course with that but I think it captures so vividly the truth that so many in our world live by and we're going to be talking about this together that even if they don't actually believe it really, uh, this is a bit of a mystery but it captures the conviction that life is short Life is here in just a brief moment. There's a few years all we have, so what's the consequence of that? Life's short, it's going to start, it's going to end, it's going to be quick between. What's the consequence? Play hard. Play hard. Play Xbox, don't waste your life. But play hard on something worth playing hard on. Um, we've been swamped by this message over the last... Oh, gee, uh, uh, decades, numbers of years and years and years, uh, 60, 70 years, we've been swamped by this message that there's nothing beyond this life. This life's it. These are all the few years we've got. So do everything you can to make the most of these few years you've got. Live your best life now. You've heard these phrases. Um, YOLO, you only live once. Um, So pursue everything you want in life. Travel. See all those parts of the world that you've always wished you could see. Get the dream home. Make sure your home is as good as it could possibly be. Get the most satisfying job you could get. Don't live in a job that's not satisfying. Get the best job you can. Make You've only got one life. Make the most of it now. Get the great marriage. If your marriage is not as satisfying as you want it to be, then move on and get another. Find the marriage that really will make your life here the most wonderful. Get a great family. Be everything, bend everything to get the dream that you want to dream, you've dreamed for in your life. Holidays, make them amazing. Get a bucket list. Write out the list of the top 20 things that you want to do before you die because you only live once, there's nothing beyond this life. Work your way through it, make life as fulfilling as possible or drop out and go simple because that might be your dream, that might be the thing that you want in your life, just a very simple life. And on the other side of things, if there's nothing beyond, if this life is it, don't put up with any difficulty. Anything less than satisfying, cut it out. If it doesn't spark joy, throw it. Make sure it does. Don't stick with that marriage. Don't stick with the people that drain you. Don't stick with those people that are frustrating and painful. Don't commit to things that are hard. Because you'll find that dis- unsatisfying. Don't get in committed to things that mean you're locked into routines that you've got to keep. Be free to pursue the options you want to pursue. Don't sacrifice your health. Apps don't sacrifice your health. Your health's the most important thing you have. Don't sacrifice um, your, your, uh, your context, your circumstances. Your health matters more to you than anything. So make sure you are as flourishing as you possibly can be. Get me time. You've had lots of you time, now make sure you get me time, balanced and so on. Is this, is this ringing? This is exactly how our world communicates. Do you feel a message, the pull of it, the way it makes such perfect sense? Of course that's how you'd live. If there's nothing beyond this life, it makes absolute sense. If there is no resurrection, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, play hard. This morning the Bible has some shock therapy for us. Um, It'll be happy shock therapy. It's liberating shock therapy, but it's shock therapy. We are given today to see uh, in our reading the life of someone who lived a very different life than the Xbox play hard life. Someone who shaped their life entirely by different values and different convictions and different priorities. And if you've got your Bible, let's get into it. 2 Corinthians, grab it, chapter 1. Flip open there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the church of God in Corinth. Here's Paul writing to this church in the ancient world, a place you can go and visit today. And this is one of the letters where he shares more about his own personal journey than any other. You get in chapter 1 there, remember all those weeks ago, uh, verse 8, we don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Troubles in Asia, it was a difficult time, modern Turkey. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. He went into a context and circumstance that was so painful. Uh, he, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked. He outlines all of this in chapter 11. He risked his health constantly, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. You get in chapter 4 a little outline too, just encourage, um, sort of beginning to give the picture of a chapter 4 Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, not crushed. We're perplexed, not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. This is not someone flourishing their best life now. This is someone experiencing suffering and pain and carrying around the death of Jesus. The picture is someone not living their bucket list life, now, I always find this odd. He was living in the Greek islands. That's meant to be a place you'd want to go to, isn't it? So, but, but he was in prison in each of those islands as he went around. But he wasn't living his bucket list life. He was actually giving himself over by design to a difficult life. He intentionally went into difficult circumstances. Now, not because he loved hard things, not because he was a masochist, but actually because he loved life. We'll come back to this shortly. He loved life for others, and so he embraced the pain for the sake of life in others. We'll come back to it shortly. Now, how does he do this? This is where we begin to get closer to the key idea of this passage. Um, This section, all through here, really, strictly is about how to keep buoyant in the midst of difficulties. Paul talks about... uh, Not losing heart numbers of times. Chapter 4, come there, chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Uh, You get in verse 16, we do not lose heart. Chapter 5 verse 1, we have a building, a hope uh, that will continue to encourage us. We groan and so on but if you come all the way down, um, you'll see in verse, um, uh, where is it? We have courage, where's, uh, where's our courage passage? Uh, Verse 6, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home and that we're away from the Lord. So he lives with confidence. Verse 8, we're confident. He's a man who's actually found the secret to actually press on, to not give up, to not lose heart in the midst of his troubles and circumstances. Um, Now you could imagine he could easily get bowed down by the whole thing, but he doesn't. He's not crushed by it all. He's battered because of his service of Christ. How does he keep going? Well, there's three things particularly I want to draw attention to with us this morning. The first, one, and I'm actually going to—we're going to have some time together talking. Uh, we have to talk about some things. We've got to have a family meeting shortly. All right, so get ready for that. But I want to talk to you about the first thing: lay down these foundations of a total rethink about the way we understand life. Let me give you the first one. The way Paul thinks about life—that's so profoundly different to us—is he has a grasp of the unseen, of the unseen future that is vivid and real for him. Look at verse 16, let's read through there, chapter 4. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Outwardly, we are wasting away, verse 16. His bodily experience in this world, in this age, uh, it, 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 and it's not just physical, actually, it, the body is wasting. Um, look around you, you can see it happening, can't you? I just saw someone, I was standing up the back there, I saw some of you walk in, and I said, gee, they've become old just over this last week. <laughs> And, and they said, yeah, yeah, I hadn't noticed that before. Gee, they're 40. Wow. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're aging and the body is crumbling. But I don't think Paul is just talking about the physical thing. I think he's also talking about the psychology, the emotional life, all of, of who we are in this age because I think what he's got to focus on is not just outside body, inside emotions. I think he's thinking about that part of me which is bound up with this age and that part of me which is bound up for the age to come. Now how do I come to that conclusion? Because if you look there, verse 17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what, not on what is seen but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. What's he concerned about? That part of him that, that will last into eternity... Whereas there's another part of him that is bound to this physical age, to this time now, this present evil age, Galatians chapter 1, and is crumbling, is fading, falling. Um, you imagine um, a, a high rise building. You, you know, you, you uh, build a massive building, you put scaffolding up, uh, and then you put those Hessian cloth around the building so you can't see what's going on inside it. And there's a sense in which, for the Apostle Paul, what I am in this age is that hessian scaffolding but inside is that part of me which is bound up with the age to come that I'm already present in by the Holy Spirit. You can see he mentions the Holy Spirit who verse 5 has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come and there is that inner part of me that's actually now in the new age and going on into the new age and will last forever into the new age. I take it that's his soul, call it the soul, his spirit. So, So the outer that which is bound up with this age, the inner, the soul, the spirit that is by the Holy Spirit now secured into the eternal age to come. And what you have here is the Apostle Paul saying, I'm beaten and battered, I'm in depression, I'm despair, I'm hurting my emotions, everything, but I know that's going. This is brief. But there is that part of me beneath the Hessian. And so I fix my eyes on that eternal hope, of which I'm part already, but which continues on. This is a powerful passage for us, if you're in despair this morning, to be aware and to find yourself fixed on. But you know what I want to suggest the power of the passage for us today? That there is an eternal age to come. That there is just the fact of an eternal age to come. It's not even yet where to focus, it's just that this life isn't it. There is more. Rest in that for a moment. That there is an age to come that the Apostle Paul says is glorious. This isn't all there is. Drink deeply of that. This, this life is just a moment. It's why the Apostle can say the sufferings here are momentary in light because by comparison, of course, the experiences here and now are Nothing. Now, if this is all you have, this 70, 80, maybe 90 years if you've got strength, if this is all you have, then to go through any suffering is massive because it undermines everything I've got. This is all I have. And if this life goes bad, what's left for me? But if there's something beyond, if this is just the moment, then all of those things fade into comparison. I think we know this in all kinds of experiences, and I'm going to step into an area I probably ought not step into, childbirth. Um, And I'm going to say things that I think are true, but you can correct me later. This is true. Childbirth's tough. I've watched it happen a number of times. It's not easy. Pregnancy is hard. I've seen so many of you go through pregnancy, and it—it's rarely that beautiful time. That's just a wonderful bonding of this inner child. It's morning sickness. It's joints being dislocated. It's the pain of uncomfortableness. It's the difficulty to sleep. It's the through summer, the all the. There's a beauty in it as well, of course. Birth itself—what a woman goes through. To give birth to a child, to bring life. But here's the thing, Am I gonna, I'm going to suggest this and you nod if you think this is right. When a woman has that child in her arms after birth, how are you thinking now? It was all worth it. Oh, it was all worth it. Um, days later, weeks later, perhaps a month later, you could think about doing it again. I don't know how, but there you are. Those pains now seem light and momentary. Which is the key, of course, to make it possible to go back and do it again. And in that kind of experience, what you're doing there is you're experiencing the glory of life that's been produced through this pain. And the life is so glorious. You go, that was... You know, I could do it again. I know it's going to be difficult, but it was light and momentary really in comparison to this. And I know actually now too, just parenting tip here, it doesn't end there, the pain, does it? (laughs) Does it ever end as parents? Uh, But you're up for it because of the joy of life. And actually just a little aside here for the moment. Why is it that Paul went through pain all the time? Why did he keep giving himself to pain? Not because he was a masochist but because he was for life. He wanted to see life produced in others. He wanted to see people come to eternal life, be rescued into life. He was prepared to go through whatever pain necessary to actually bring people into that life experience. He'd go into a town and be beaten and battered. He'd go back again because he wanted to bring life. He was focused on the joy of life and the blessing of life, eternal life. And the fact is in this age, the fact is in this age, you only bring life to others through sacrifice, through pain. The only way life in this age emerges is through costly giving of yourself to others. It's a principle of this age. But the main point I want to draw attention to right at this moment is um, when he talks about fixing his eyes on the unseen, eternal, future glory, he reminds us that there is an unseen, future, eternal glory. That that there is a future. This life isn't it. The, The ad is wrong. Most of our friends are wrong in the way they think and talk. Think with me. And I'm going to get us to do this exercise very shortly. How would, li- how would your life be different if you knew this was just a moment? We'll come back to it. See, there's the first thing I want to draw attention to from this passage this morning, that there is a future eternal glory that will far outweigh our experiences here and now. Second, that that eternal future glory is an embodied future. It's an embodied future Look at chapter 5 verse 1, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Um, Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed we will not be found naked. Now I want to suggest to you that this little section here is a kind of a clarification by the Apostle Paul. He, um, The way he's just talked about Fixing his eyes on what is unseen and the eternal future glory, it can sound like he believes that we'll have this eternal glory where the body's gone and we'll be a spirit wafting through the heavens. And it can sound like he's talking about the future glory is this bodiless experience of the spirit. And I think he wants to clarify because there were many people in the ancient world who did think exactly that—that that the body was um, uh, was inferior. We were a ghost in a machine, and who we really were, who we really are, is our spirit, and the body is just the clothing our real person holds. And when we die, we finally get rid of the clothing, and we just are released to be a spirit. And he says, "No, no, 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 no. The future that we have together will be embodied, because who we are are bodied people." We're not ghosts in a machine. So he corrects this thinking uh, with a twist. And I'll come to the twist in a second. But let me give you the correction first. He uses three big images. He talks about tent, building and nakedness. Tent. You see the tent there he talks about in verse 1 is the earthly physical body. Uh, If the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, so he's talking about this embodied life here and now, but then he talks about an eternal house, a building, uh, a dwelling, a heavenly. Uh, uh, when we lose this physical one and, and we are ushered into the presence of God, uh, into eternity, there will be at some point in time, we'll come to this, a, a new body that we, we are given. A building now, though, not just a tent that's insubstantial, temporary but a house built by God, not by human hands. Which is, this one wasn't built by human hands either. I take it that phrase is code for eternal one, a God-given one, one that will um, be immortal, glorious, uh, a heavenly body, so that we know when this earthly tent is destroyed, dies, rots, is buried or cremated, we have a better body to come. And the point is that the eternal life in the future is an embodied one, a physical one. Humans are made to be clothed in a body. The real you is not spirit. The real you is this. Your body is you, really. God made us for this and into eternity we'll be embodied. Now I think this helps a little bit. I think it helps solidify our future hope. The future age is real. It's substantial. It's eternal and glorious with bodies. On a new earth, a new creation, we will walk and talk and be with each other and move amongst. Now follow this thought just further through, given what we're looking at together this morning. (laughs) You know that mountain range you've always wanted to visit, it's on your bucket list? It'll be there. Made more glorious. Why look at the shadow? when you can go and see the really glorious one. You know, that wave, <laughs> that, that island wave you've always wanted to surf. It'll be there, just more glorious. I know there's talk of no ocean and sea and all of that, but it's rubbish. There will be a... <laughs> there'll be something there, right? That, that stream, that clearing, that sunset, it'll all be there. More glorious. The future age is substantial. It's real. Why have a bucket list? It's pagan. Am I saying this too strongly? It's paganism amongst us. Why do you need a bucket list as if you're going to miss out on something, if you don't get it before you die? What are you thinking, brothers and sisters? Now, that doesn't mean there's not things to enjoy Doesn't mean you can't have Sabbaths and holidays and enjoy and travel. I don't mean I'm not saying that at all. But there's a way of thinking about those things that's pagan. That has embraced the mood of this current age. Do you know it's good to. God has given us all good things to enjoy. It's good to eat food, but there's a thing called gluttony. That there's a time, there's a moment where the enjoyment is a praise and honoring activity to God. There's a moment where it slides into. Gluttony, sin. Use the things of this world, says the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, as though not engrossed in them. Use them. It's given us all good things to enjoy, but don't be engrossed in them because this world and the present age is passing away, says the Apostle. You see, there is a future age. Let that bleed into our lives and the way we think. That future age is embodied It's substantial, it's real. But there's a twist to this that we need to deal with to gain the sharpness of his last thought, the third thought that I'm going to come to in a moment. And it's a tricky twist. And look, some of you can have a nap. Um, If you don't get this, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world for you. But uh, it's important to get hold of to really gain the power of the last point that he makes. So stick with me on this. Um, He talks there in verse 3 about being naked. Two Corinthians chapter five verse three: When we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So here's the twist. You with me? We're just going to take a quick aside. What does he mean by nakedness there? Now there are some first thought ideas that you might come up with. Um, some people uh, kind of, when they read it uh, on a on a first run through, think uh, not wanting to be found naked is not wanting to be found unforgiven. So nakedness means being unforgiven, that's a connection people draw quickly. Um, being naked, other people suggest, might does that just mean being in this body? He doesn't want to be in this body naked because being in this tent is naked. I want to suggest to you that neither of those are right. On a closer look, it, the way he's talking here I think triggers a whole new way of understanding the future and makes sense of his desire to be with Jesus which we'll come to in a moment. When Paul talks about being naked, I think what he's talking about is being without this tent or the heavenly building. But being in an intermediate state between this life and the parousia. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Christ returns, raises the dead and gives them a new body. And I think what Paul is talking about here is that if you die before the final return of Christ, there's an intermittent period where you'll be a bodiless spirit, naked, without tent or the heavenly body to come. Um, now I think it makes sense, doesn't it, that clothing is the opposite of being naked. And to be clothed is to have either this earthly body or the building to come. So naked is to be without either um, and and so we groan verse 2 longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because when we'll be clothed we won't be found naked during that intermediate state because while we're in this tent we groan and are burdened because we don't want to be we don't want to go through that unclothed period rather we want to be we wish to be Clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Now there's a Greek word here that can help us a little bit. We want to be o- the word clothed there in verse four could be translated overclothed. Paul's great hope actually is that that he would never go through the experience of dying before the return of Christ, so being naked for a period, but rather would have Christ return before his death and have the new heavenly building, overclothe his current mortal tent, like a fish swallows a smaller fish. That Christ returns and clothes me with the new one without yeah, having to lose this one, so I never go through the naked period. I think that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Um, that The death, the mortality may be swallowed up by life, and we never go through the death experience. Um, because there's a sense in which what Paul is operating here with is the idea that That I am body, soul and spirit. And to go through a period where I'm just spirit is a tense time. There's something he feels the tension of. He doesn't want to be naked. We're made to be embodied beings. Um, Now that raises questions for us. Where is the person then when they die before the return of Christ? Well, Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 Pictures for us, a group of people gathered around the throne of heaven. Spirits, those that have died, crying out, how long, O Lord? You get uh, the thief on the cross. Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise, but his body is still in the ground. He hasn't returned to give the parousia body yet. Um, Now there, I think, is what Paul is saying. He hopes that Christ would return before he dies, and like a fish just overclothed, so that he never experiences the naked sake. There's the little twist. Now, if you didn't follow all of that, tune back in, because his third and last future feature about the future is what we want to rest spend some time on now. Verse six. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. What's he talking about here? I want to suggest to you, he thinks about the future as a future eternal glory. He thinks about it as an embodied future. And he thinks about it as a personal future. He wants to be, look at verse 6, with the Lord. Because to be at home in this body now, in this age, because we live by faith, not sight... We're only trusting our Lord. We're not with our Lord. We're not seeing our Lord. We're living by trusting that he's spoken a word to us. We don't have an immediate experience of him physically. We're away from him. And we live by faith. We're confident and so say, verse 8, we would rather be, prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord than at home here. You see, what he's talking about here is a a desire to be with his Lord, to talk with Jesus, to see Jesus, to walk with Jesus. And verse 9, this is a massive truth that has implications. Um, But look now verse 8 again, and this is where the twist helps us. We are confident, I say, and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord even though it means he will be naked. That's the point of the twist. Paul said that if he dies, loses this tent, and dies before the return of Christ, there'll be a period where he's naked. That's a tense time. It's it's, 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 it's not the way it ought to be yet. But you know what he says in verse 8? I want to be with the Lord so much. That I'd rather be away from this body, naked, if I'm with the Lord. Because to be with the Lord is everything to him. And he's happy to go through that difficult time to be with the Lord. He'll endure being naked to gain the Lord. Now here in itself is shock therapy for us. It's got to raise questions. How much, and I'm, <laughs> I just want to be careful with us on this one, but how much as you're sitting there, how much is being with Jesus, how much does that figure in your eternal hope? Have you ever experienced in this life a sense of loss that I'm not with the Lord yet? I just know him by faith. Or are you just satisfied with faith? So have you ever had that experience of going, this life is not what it ought to be because, ah, it's suffering, it's pain, people die. Have you felt, this is not what it ought to be because I'm not yet with the Lord? Have you had that experience? Do you know it's possible to live with what I'm going to call a very doctrinaire faith? a doctrinaire faith. You hear the truths of the gospel, you believe the truths of the gospel, there's a heaven, there's a hell. We're sinners, we're only saved by grace, by the death of Jesus on our behalf. Our only hope is putting our trust in him and his righteousness on our behalf. And if we do that, if we put our trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then I'll be saved from hell to heaven uh, into an eternal glorious you, you might, If you've believed those things, you are saved. If you've embraced the truth of those things genuinely in the heart, you're saved. But I want you to notice that Paul's faith is personal. He hears of the one who is his saviour, who is his Lord. He knows and loves his saviour and his Lord. His unseen Lord is real to him. He knows the person of Jesus. He trusts him, not a set of truths. He trusts the person of Jesus, his Lord and Saviour, and he wants to be with him. Which kind of faith do you have? Doctrinaire or personal? Do you know and trust the Lord, or do you believe facts? Now, I want to just assure you that if you believe the facts of the gospel, you are saved. You're not saved by the depth of your personal longing. You're saved by the merits of Christ. Trust his death for you. Saved. But it's a very inadequate faith. And it matters that we engage on this because of verse 9 and 10. Look at verse 9 and 10. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad we make it our goal in this life earthly tent or when we're away from it into eternity to please jesus not just to, not just do what's right not just to keep the commandments but please jesus is this how you think about your Christian life? Aware one day, verse 10, that there'll be a judgment, judgment for Christians. And it'll be, think of it like this, it's a family judgment. It's not a fan, it's not the judge, this verse 10 judgment is not the judgment of whether you're in or out of the kingdom. It's those of us who are in, saved by the grace of God in Jesus, there'll be a judgment for us. About what we've done with what we've received, how much we have pleased the Lord whether we've given ourselves over to death every day to bring life to others. There will be a judgment for Christians. It won't be an eternal loss judgment, but it will be a judgment producing for us a glory. And, and this is not meant to be a beat-up, but I want us to think about this together, friends. I want us to start a conversation today on this. I'm having the conversation with myself. I've had it, been having it for decades, wrestling with this issue. And I want us to have it together and I want you to reflect, I want you to sit and think just for a couple of minutes, Just actually for 30 seconds. I want you to think on your own, how would your Christian life be different if it looked like the Apostle Paul's? If you had a vivid awareness of this life being a moment and there really being an eternal glory that's substantial where you won't miss out on anything. And that's where your Lord is, where there'll be a judgment day to account for all that you've done in pleasing. How would your life today be different if you embrace those truths? Just take 30 seconds and think and then I'm going to get you to share. Think of one thing that would be different. One thing you'd stop, one thing you'd start. Now I want you to share. Talk to the person next to you. How, how would life be different in principle? You don't have to share your own personal thing here, actually. How would you think people should be different if they embrace this truth? Just take a moment, a minute, go. okay let's uh let's hear some thoughts what did you what did your neighbor say give us those ones how would life be different over to you we'd be less selfish yeah we'd be less into personal comfort We'd want to invest in in relations to the people who haven't got life in Christ yet. Yeah, to bring life. Yeah, gee, we'd be less afraid of what people think, wouldn't we? Because we're only here for a moment. Yeah. So what if you don't like me for this moment? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'd pay more attention to the spiritual disciplines with my kids because what matters most is that they're embedded by the Holy Spirit into this future eternally. Yeah. I'd be concerned less about their sports and their academics and their um, friends and so on. I just want to invest. Not that they're wrong, but I'd want to invest deeply here, yeah. One of the things that came out of COVID was people don't want to be as busy as they were but what we've also dropped off is gospel busyness. How much paid work is enough? How much, paid work is enough? How much do you really need to earn? How, much did, how hard do you have to work? Um, it, it, these, are, these are tricky questions, you, you see, but we need to have the conversations because like eating and gluttony, you need to work to earn a living. You need to work to serve the community. You need to work to have money to give away. You need, you need to work. But there's a point at which your need to work become more than just a need to love and serve others and provide money and give. It's become actually about you. It's not just a job anymore. Have you fallen into that? Yeah. So how much do we really need? So how much do we really need? Which means, how much do we keep? How much do we not give away? I find this a constant thing. How... How much, should I, how much of what I earn do I keep for myself, my family? My family, you'll notice that. It's all right, but I'm, I'm being generous with it because it's given to my kids, but they're your kids, selfish giving. But how much do they really need? How much do I really need? How much should I give away? Do you know, across the national church in Australia, it's about 25% of Australians, Christians, churchgoers, regular churchgoers, give 10% of their income. Only 25%. Our numbers are a bit better here. But if we just had double of that, we would never have a deficit. Gone. And you know what's the key to that? Eternity. Embodied future. To be with the Lord and please him who gave up everything. The Lord Jesus. Though God didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, emptied himself, gave up everything, even gave up his health for the sake of being a servant, humbling himself to death on a cross. That's the Lord we follow. He didn't die for us that we might now live in comfort. He died for us to free us from this age, that like the Apostle Paul we might now be secured into an eternal glorious age. An embodied age where we'll be finally with the Lord forever. He he died to secure us in that, that we might live in this age differently. Pouring ourselves out to give ourselves out for the good of others, to love and serve others. Let me give you three quick things to finish with because my time's up. You know, there's three very basic things that if you capture these truths, you will always make sure happen in your life. You'll be at church every week. I just think the exercise of getting up and getting to church with your Bible in hand says my life is not about my comfort, it's about God's purposes. That's what pleases the Lord. Now I know some of you are at home because you're sick. There's a lot of you at home because you're sick. Do not come to church if you're sick. (laughs) The way you love others is to actually not threaten their health. So yes, it's a good thing you're doing. But if you're at home in the lounge chair because it's comfortable, it's time to stop. To come and be with your brothers because that's what pleases the Lord. Church, gathering with believers to wrestle around the word together with them and giving financially. Brothers and sisters, we have the resources. Do we have the will? And how much is it, how much are we captured by pleasing the Lord or where we'll have to account to him one day? Keep wrestling with these things. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for uh, what you've shown us in the Lord Jesus and what Paul has evidenced as he follows the Lord Jesus. Help us follow Paul as he follows Jesus. Help us be those who are captured by the truth that there is an age to come. This is a moment Help us not be drawn into the way the world thinks about these things. Help us please to see the personal nature of that eternity that will be with you, the Lord. And help us seek now to please you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.